Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Leslie Nolan, an entrepreneur, visionary artist, and motivational speaker. She's founded Leslie Nolan Design, an award-winning graphic studio in practice for over 30 years, where she now works with creative entrepreneurs who have lost their mojo or inspiration and helps them reclaim their power so they can find the courage to create their greatest work. Through the magic of painting, she helps clients uncover their true genius so they can stand empowered and shine. She mentors and shares her knowledge, giving workshops, visiting schools and colleges, teaching privately, and assisting online educational programs to a worldwide audience. Leslie is also a contemporary symbolist whose visionary paintings have been showcased at the United Nations World Conference for Women Against Violence. I've asked her to join us here today to talk about tapping into our inspiration, motivation, learning about ourselves, and uncovering our true genius. So, Leslie, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well, and thank you so much, Daryl, for the invitation uh, to your your podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you coming here and being willing to share. And obviously, over 32 years, you've done a lot of different things with your business, and you've got a lot of recognition for it. And you've obviously moved to having more and more of what you feel is an impact on the world and helping make it a better place. But how did you get started? Did you come from an entrepreneurial family? Did you, like, you know, what was your first business? Like, how did how did you even get into being Those an entrepreneur? Are good question. So, my parents were school teachers. My father taught in North Jersey for over 40 years. My mom did some teaching. She also they both taught English as a second language, but she was a mother of four. And at some point in high school, she opened up her own cafe in New York City. My mom's always been 10 years ahead of her time. So like before the whole coffee boom, she and her best friend opened up a little cafe called Thomasina's. I remember working with her there, you know, on the weekends or when I had time off. So for myself, I had inherited my brother's paper route and I babysat, I made jewelry, I scooped ice cream. I had all sorts of odd jobs as a kid. And I was interested in a lot of different things. And my parents being school teachers in the early days and having a lot of kids, they didn't make a lot of money. So I was always encouraged to, you know, have your own money and to save your money and and to make your own money. Because if I made it, then I realized, ah, I could do whatever I wanted with it. Where before, if your parents gave you an allowance, you know, it was kind of meager and, you know, it wasn't a lot. And, um... So I think there was something about that that was really exciting to me as a young girl. So my parents both have really great work ethic. and They're very dedicated to what they do. Later, my mom went in PR and communications for a hospital. So she's very community minded. And I think all of those things influenced me in my life, and especially later in my life, as I shifted from design and marketing back over to kind of teaching and coaching myself 
interesting mm, mm. journey. I can say that much. Well, I love that emphasis on self-reliance. I think that's really important. I wish there, there was more of that in this day and age. It's actually one of the things I enjoy whenever I travel and I go, especially if I go to like a, a third world country or a second world country or something like that. It's funny because it's one of the things that I feel that in some countries like I remember when I went to Africa and I was getting on, it was the Matatus. You're hopping on these basically minivans that are their bus system, but they didn't always come to a full stop when you get on or off. And so I remember I was like afraid. I'm like, is he going to stop? They're like, just go. And I'm like, well, what if I get hurt? They're like, don't. And I, I love that because here, like the, the, you know what I mean? Like there's so much in North America. There's so much the onus is on like, you didn't warn me about all the potential things I could have done to myself. Like, you know, like the whole people spilling coffee on themselves and suing for millions of dollars and stuff, you know, and things like that. Like, it's like, don't, don't do, I just love that emphasis on account. Cause I think that's something that is detrimental to our society. I'm going to get off my soapbox, but it's just, I love that. It's an important point. And, you know, I have to say that frequently we talk about these things where you have to think about the generation. So my parents were, I guess they were born in the thirties. So they're pre-war babies you know, I grew up on the Northeast Coast. My mom came from a family of eight. Mm-hmm. So she was one of the oldest. She was like a second mother. She would go shopping for the kids. You know, she had a certain responsibility. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, she helped her parents out. So, you know, there's this thing of one caring for other people and caring for yourself. And even parents at that time, you know, it was still a struggle. You had to work for what you wanted. And they taught you to go for what you want and dream for what you want. And more importantly, my mom said, pick a vocation that you like, because mm. most likely you're going to be working the rest of your life and you should love it. And that was a really, that's really good, good advice. advice. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, later in like my generation for my child, I want him to have whatever he wants. Yep. But, you know, I'm at that place where I can do that for him, where it might have been more trying for our parents and some of these other countries that there's so much. So it's this interesting combination of you know, not raising an entitled child or a spoiled child, but also having a certain amount of responsibility or discipline and to, you know, continue learning mm-hmm. throughout life. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's luxury makes men, was or sorry, adversity makes men, luxury makes monsters. You know, Chinese have a saying about wealth. You can't keep wealth past three generations because the first one will earn it. The second one will see their parents struggle, embrace the grind and preserve it. And the third one grows up only knowing abundance and just squanders it. Interesting. And I think that that's in some respect, I don't know if civilizations do that, but I feel like to a certain extent, you know, I think that we're just traveling the world and seeing other people and how hungry they have to be to make it in other places. I just, it makes me nervous for, for North Americans. I digress. So that's how you overcame. That's how you got into business. So you've always kind of been encouraged to be an entrepreneur. What were some of your early business endeavors? Well, I remember uh, one in high school where I, uh, besides being a newspaper girl for a while, I also, and I liked that I could get out of my own bed, go to the corner, pick up the papers, roll them up and go around the corner. And I was done with my job. You know, it was like this thing about managing time, but I didn't like getting up early in those days, you know, where <laughs> I got their paper late. But these days I'm waking up super early, five o'clock in the morning. So things change. I guess between my mom had a coffee shop, my uncles had a little confectionery in East Rutherford. I'd have to open up the shop, make the coffee, you know, roll the papers for everyone and 
turn on all the lights and start all the equipment and serve and, you know, run the register. So I think I had a variety of things early on. And when I graduated, I went to school at Pratt. And when I graduated, I hoped that I would get, you know, a job at a cushy advertising agency, but I didn't. And I, I graduated with honors. I had two portfolios, one in advertising, another in graphic design. I had two internships, one at NBC, another at insurance services office. I had plenty of experience doing projects and graphics. I was very involved in student government and I ran travel and rec recreation and was part of my student scholarship money where either I would put together parties or throw like, you know, annual events, the circle line party and 12 hour dance marathons and all sorts of stuff like that. It sounds like um, so much fun. I did. I was really, really active. It was just part of my personality. So, and I always had like one or two jobs and how to do my work. And it was just kind of par for the course. I was really good at juggling that. So when I did it, I went on 75 job interviews. I remember the summer and I was getting really depressed. And because I was so, did so much work at Pratt, they said, look, you could stay here through the summer, Leslie, but by August, the new kids are coming in. Mm. My parents were divorcing that summer. Oh wow! So I had to find something. So it was a lot of pressure. You know, I had some freelance work from the one insurance company and I got a job doing some freelance work at a magazine. Then I was able to move into my first apartment off campus and that's how it started. I would freelance the insurance agency. I would freelance at the magazine place. And then you'd meet other designers and graphic people. So they would hire you for deadlines at that time. So, you know, like at lunch, the insurance agency would call me downtown. And I'd be working in Madison Avenue in a bullpen advertising agency. They're like, have some changes. Can you come? I'm like, I'm there. And, you know, like if it rained, it poured. And you would you would get the work and you would start it. Then the real shift happened for me when the Mac came out. When I saw that machine, I took the first class that they offered in New York City, I think it was at SVA with Victor Curlow. And I realized this machine held everything that I was interested in, my writing, my poetry, graphics, and that if I had this thing, I no longer had to rely on typesetters. Mm -hmm. like, I could do it all. So I was like the first of anyone that I knew. I bought that machine. It was before the large corporations were all IBM. They weren't going to buy it. The small advertising agencies were curious about it. They weren't quite sure. So those first years, I was on a trajectory because I knew this stuff before other people did. Mm. I was able to really pitch and I, I'd get like a whole book or a series of books to do myself. That's awesome. That was very exciting. It was a big learning curve. That's awesome. It was very exciting. It was exciting times. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. I mean, especially to be on the on the forefront of new technology. I mean, you're talking about the original Mac. Is that accurate? Which it was. I'm trying to remember the first one I purchased. Was it, it was black and white. It was a little uh, thing and tiny screen, a little black not, and white. You know, what, you know what happens in New York is everything's on like a couple year lag from California. <laughs> so. At the time, it was the I was freelancing on a magazine. The publisher realized he was 
commuting. The editor was commuting from Brooklyn to Secaucus, New Jersey, and he realized that if he had this machine, he could stay right in his studio hmm. and he wouldn't have to leave. And he was waiting for H and J, which is like, you know, a part of the typesetting to come through so that he knew he could get it. So the minute he bought it, I realized I had to buy one too. Hmm. And so it was not the first series. I don't know if it was a Mac 2, a Mac 2 CX. That's fine. You know? I, I had both. I had the black and white, and I think I had the Mac Classic. Classic. Two. I don't even remember their names now, but that's all. Anyways, that's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> it was fun. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced, though, going through that and juggling all that work and working with such high-end clients and big accounts? And it was a combination of things. One, you had to be really good at time management, which I was. I was very self-directed. I had a lot of discipline. But what would happen, which I didn't know, is if you had a big project and your head was down working on this project, it was – I didn't realize at that time because I'd have very big projects. Like if you're working on magazines or books, they go on and on indefinitely for a long period. Mm. And when the project was done, unless they had something else for you, it would dry up. You know, so it was this thing of continuously that time I wasn't really marketing for myself other than calling people who were in the business to see if they needed work. So at that, that time, I was straddling between taking things home from my home studio. I still knew all the traditional mechanicals and paste up and marker. I'm like the old school. I know how to do everything by hand, old school way. Then learn this. I think the hard thing at that time was learning the technology because at that time it was so non-intuitive. Mm. It was very frustrating at first. Mm -hmm. Then once I got it down, I really liked to be able to tweak things. So I really enjoyed that. So as time has gone by, so much has happened in technology. It's a continuous learning curve. So I think as things changed and I was in New York for almost 10 years, and then I summered here at the Jersey Shore. And one summer, I just did not want to go back to New York. The ocean stole my heart, and I'm like, this is where I'm going to live. So first couple of years, like, I would still go into the city to freelance, but I just wanted to be here. I didn't want to go back into the city ever again. So I did start to look for work, and... What was interesting was I was afraid that if I looked for work around here, that it wouldn't be as like big name. You know, I worked for some pretty big names in the city. But then all of a sudden I became, instead of being a little fish in a big pond in the city, what I didn't realize in New Jersey is I'd be a bigger fish in a small pond. And so there was a lot of skills that I had that other people didn't have, but what I needed to learn back then was sales skills. Because, you know, the typical way you would learn some, do something would be you'd take your portfolio and you'd bring it to an art director or head editor and you'd show them your work and they could see immediately what your skill set was. As my clients got smaller, if it wasn't a big organization, it would be a salesperson, even though they'd like to see your portfolio. They only wanted to know that you could solve their particular problem. So it was kind of like a little different sale. It was a different sell. And small business owners are completely different. It's just a, a completely different head. It's a different kind of market. It's a, the, the, the lead time for the projects 
are very different. Mm -hmm. So, but what I realized is that I really liked working with owners of small companies because they're very, you know, they're visionary entrepreneurial people. And so am I. So I just got what they said. I just totally would not only understand where they were coming from, from a sales perspective, but could also solve their problem for them. So it's just been a very interesting change over time. I mean, it continuously changes. So what do you think have been some of the habits that you that have helped you on your path? <sighs> I guess just, you know, I'm really good at starting a project and finishing it. It's very important. Mm -hmm. You know, time management is very important. Having an understanding of a client's needs. I have some really excellent listening skills. Mm. Uh, being able to see the problem from their perspective and then help them solve it. Helping people make money. Mm. I really was helping people make money and, and grow their business. So that was really exciting to me. Like once I realized it's not just about making a brochure or something beautiful, I'm really trying to help them grow their business and make money. So getting a sense of that, you know, with small business owners, they'll share that with you because that's part of their struggle. So to see how I was able to help them that way was really important to me and to, you know, craft my work for them in that direction. So what were some of the ways that you would help grow people's companies? Can you speak to that a little bit? Like you say that when you get involved and see, you know, what they're doing and they would share their kind of confess their their sins, so to speak, or their their flaws. You know, what were some of the things that you saw a lot of people were struggling with or making mistakes about? I think that the mistakes might be that they were not either advertising regularly or hitting their clients in a specific way. Mm. You know, I can think of one particular one of my favorite clients. One of my last design clients who I worked with regularly before everything shifted, he was a jeweler, Neil. And it was very interesting to work with him because he had lots of great ideas. So, you know, we did a lot of, you know, real typical things. It could be newspaper advertisement. It could be campaign in store where folks would either they can refer a friend program or Every time they came in to get something fixed, they would win some kind of award. We did, at the time, it was when gold buying was really important. I branded his gold buying, and it, he went from, like, this great idea of putting kiosks in supermarkets mm. to sell gold, and it just boomed. So helping him brand that was really important, and then it really grew and took off. Those are all like really important things. And to see that you have to be somewhat flexible when you're a smaller company could be really flexible. And even when I work with larger corporations, now they're like, ah, oh, I have to talk to corporate about this. They're mm -hmm. like, sorry, Leslie, yeah. for, I would just say yes to your idea. But I have to talk to corporate. Then I have to talk to marketing. And, you know, certain people have regulations, especially if it's, you know, yeah, like insurance if, if or something. Right, yeah. Yeah, certain people have certain regulations, so I understand that to go through that. But small business owners have a great deal of flexibility, and they can really make things happen pretty quickly, as opposed to a larger organization where the projects are bigger, but they move slowly. Like, you know, 
they move slowly like an entire city block at a time, but the whole thing moves, you know? Right, right, so right. It's very interesting to see, you know, and to have had the experience from a small business owner to a solopreneur working with them to a large organization or a foundation within a hospital. All those things have been quite interesting. So many different industries and you learn no matter who you work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So well said. You definitely learn no matter who you work with. So what would be your advice to people who are starting out and struggling right now? I would just tell them, it depends what the struggle is. Can you give me a more responsive struggle? I mean, it's basically just don't give up. Just keep going. And sometimes, you know, you might be fishing in the wrong pool. Mm -hmm. I've learned that myself. You might need to go over, you know, go after some big fish. You might be surprised. They might say yes. Mm -hmm. You just never know. I got one very, very big job from just not giving up. I was recommended by, from, I think I was working in a bullpen with an art director who had a side gig down at the Fed to work on some newsletters. So I helped him like after hours crank out some newsletters. And then he said, hey, Leslie, I am moving to California. You should go after this account. So I went after the account. I bid for it. I didn't get it. And I was kind of young, a little green. I think that that's why I thought that might be why. So every two or three years it would come up again. So I'd touch base with them. I'd go after the account again. I didn't get it. And at that time, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if it was the second time or the third time I tried for it. What I didn't know is the assistant editor wanted me, but the editor chose someone else. Oh. I had a phone call out of the blue from the assistant editor became the editor. And he said, Leslie, I'm the editor now and I choose you and I want you to work on these newsletters for me. I was like, great. Right. So I got in, I started to work with him and he recommended me to a few different offices. So I worked with community affairs office and I worked with all different offices within the fed. And because he could rely on me and because I was doing good work for them, after 9-11, he asked me to work on their premier magazine that went out to who? All their clients who were who? Right. All the major right. banks. Wow. So I art directed the entire thing. Like they called in a panic. Like they're in panic mode. Like, should we have all of our police force in the front cover of the magazine? I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't do that. Right. That's crazy. Like, I could say that in my sanity from my own little studio, but when you're corporate, you get like this fear that runs through the entire, it's like this crazy fear that runs through. <laughs> it's trying to like, you know, it's like goes up the ladder so many times before things get approval and everybody's like in the fear mode. I'm like, no, you have to showcase your strengths. So I literally created six mock-ups before they said, we're running with this thing. I had to create six mock-ups of the book. And my thought was to show bridges as a way of showing connection between the past and the future. So one of the VPs said, it's a great idea. Let's showcase all the bridges around New York City. And we'll say how we're not pulling out of New York. Hmm. That was a great, great theme. So I feel very blessed that I was able, I mean, I was a solopreneur. I did that job by myself 
And, you know, I hired people that I knew, a lot of really great talent. And it's a beautiful project. It's one of those things I still use to showcase, you know, it was a very intense, pressure intense situation. Right. Yeah. Often some of the best clients can be some of the most high intense pressure ones. Yeah, it was very intense because it went to all the banks. That's who their client base were. Now, do you feel that anything was ever holding you back? You mentioned some great things that you were reliable, that you did good quality work, that you were persistent. I mean, these are all great things that are very admirable that I think – I hope people listening, I hope they were able to pull those sorts of nuggets out of the the stories you were sharing because I think there's some real gems in there. I'm going to share – I will share it with you because I can – and this is – I don't want to – I would say it's relatively new, meaning it's new in my new business. So – One of the biggest things that was holding me back is so, you know, I didn't really get into the story of what I'm doing now. So and I got a very important piece of mail that's been, you know, major. That's been something unsettled. So what's happened was me coming to this place of working with creative entrepreneurs and their vision. What I'm doing now is I'm a creativity coach for entrepreneurs and I help them reclaim their power so that it can create their great work. And this is through a very unusual process. It's through painting. I came to this work because it was, I started painting again a day after my father died. There was all sorts of drama around my family, not only around his death, but all sorts of insanity and power plays. And it was very sad to me. And so I had to, I had to hit the canvas. Like I've known all my life, whether I've been in high school or college or after college, I always continued to paint and to develop my painting skills and teaching skills and working with consciousness and painting and painting as a spiritual practice for myself. Mm -hmm. So I went into like, I don't know if it was nine months, I painted this incredible painting and wrote a novella. And it was exactly what the doctor ordered. It was not only to grieve the passing of my father, which if anyone dies in parent in your life or someone close to you, very difficult, very impactful. But I couldn't get enough of this work because it was really speaking to the way that I painted, which is working with consciousness. So I learned all about intention and creativity and continued to learn from people who taught these beautiful methods and continued to hone my skills so that I then became what my parents were, were teachers. Started this like in the, I'm gonna say the fall of 2011 And my work has grown and developed mostly because I feel like my studio is a laboratory, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. and for my students. So I have seen some incredible breakthroughs, some unbelievable healing, and I've seen a lot of folks go into and accept their creative gifts and start to develop businesses or new arms of their business so that they can continue to flourish. So what I can say about this from a holdback from my perspective was there was a series of circumstances that 
happened. It was like I got married, I moved, there was, you know, Hurricane Sandy, there was, you know, all sorts of things that happened simultaneously, trying to become a parent, my father died, you know, all these, all these things started to happen to me. And I could see how I could lose, you just lose your mojo, you just lose your energy, you lose your focus. Like I have a natural spark, I have a natural curiosity, I'm, you know, naturally a happy person. So when life gets tough, and it just keeps pummeling you one thing after another, sometimes it's really hard you know, to get back to just being yourself. Mm. And so your work can be a little bit. Can suffer. Yeah, your work can suffer or you can be burnt out from doing the same thing. It's, you know, time for a change. So as I was doing this work, I continued to do it, but kind of quietly because my holdback was, even though I always had like painting classes on the side throughout the years, doing it 100%, I was having a really hard time because I liked this concept of myself as an award-winning designer and helping people grow their business. I was having a really hard time with the woo of, you know, going into this deep interpersonal painting with people. But now I'm at this place where I realize that not only can they make a good painting, but this work can inform them of what their great work is in the world and that their great work could be painting itself or it's just a methodology for them to continue to download and gain information to direct them towards their work in the world. So my holdback was kind of one I was very mental, was more as how I'd be perceived as doing this work. But everyone who knows me and friends and family are like, of course, Leslie, that's what you do. But for me, it was for me, it, was what it was, was holding a big, big eye-opener. Yeah, it was really tremendous. So now I'm at the point of, you know, totally rebranding and really making this a full-blown-out coaching, creative coaching experience. And I'm ready. I guess I had to go through that period myself to be – 100% confident in what I was doing. Mm. I needed to take that time and I've done it. So I'm ready now. Got it. Well, good for you. That sounds like a big step and a big transition. And it was. So what do you see as the future trends of your industry, of this healing business that you're getting into now? I see huge trends. That's an excellent question, Daryl. I see huge trends for a variety of reasons. We're at like this real tipping point, I believe, in our culture at this time of life. And I think that in general, and we can go back to some of the things we were talking before about this, you know, this being, we're talking about luxury and kind of entitlement. But I think that in general, our culture is very focused on the external things in life to pull them forward Mm. as opposed to going internally for your guidance and how you want motivated. You are responsible for your life and what you can create. You know, I do believe in the creator. So sometimes, you know, you, you get these throwdowns of things that 
you have got to deal with and handle. And frequently there's some kind of wounding or some kind of trauma that you have to really get a grasp on to heal and to clear because that is a major, major point to create your great work. Like without that information, without really processing that, it's in processing that that you're really able to coalesce and know why you're here. I believe we're all here. We're given certain gifts and those gifts should be shared with the world. So I'm, I believe that creative entrepreneurs are what make our country, you know, it's what makes our country move forward. And we have to go internally for what it is that's important to us to be able to really showcase and be able to share those those visions and those things with our people and our clients. So I think it's major, major work. And I'm really excited to be able to share that with business owners and entrepreneurs. Hmm. That's awesome. That's super awesome. So if anyone here has been listening to this and if they feel like they've they've lost their mojo or they can empathize with that part where they're just being stuck and they've got some issues to work through and they, they just need some sort of tool to process either what's happened or what's going on or just kind of find clarity on what direction they want to go in. How should they reach out to you? There's a few ways that they can reach out to me. One is I'd like to offer your visitors who come to your podcast a free mojo breakthrough session and they can get that by going to www.mojo.acuity, A-C-U-I-T-Y, scheduling.com. And they'll get a 50-minute free Mojo Breakthrough Session. And I'd also like to offer them a Get Your Mojo Back, a free little ebook that I'm creating. And they can contact me at Leslie at Leslie Nolan, N-O-L-A-N, design.com. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, if you want to get the Get Your Mojo Back ebook or worksheet, that's what's the email again? Can you give the email one more time? Leslie at Leslie Nolan design.com. Got it. It's L E S I E N O L A N design.com. Email her there as well, as well. So if you want to schedule something, what was the scheduling URL? Let's give that one more time. That's mojo, M O J O dot acuity scheduling.com. And it's Leslie, L E S L I E. Leslie. You've been really forthcoming and shared a lot of your story with us here, and I appreciate that so much. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't asked you? Or I should ask you, make me a millionaire, my friend. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to build a team. you got to have a product that you can scale. you got to have paid advertising. You mentioned that as well when we talked about that. I think those are three really key ingredients, thinking of the rule of 10,000. How would you handle 10,000? As you go through this, how would you handle 10,000 workshops? How would you handle 10,000 participants? How would you track 10,000 people's results? If you're baking a pie, if you're cooking dinner for 10 people, it's different than if you're cooking dinner for 50 people. So you got to begin with the end in mind a little bit. And so blank units times blank price equals a million dollars. 
So how many units do you need to sell at what price point? That could be a thousand units at a thousand dollars. That could be 500 units at $2,000, right? Be 50 units at $20,000. How much do you have to sell or what do you need to sell in order to achieve your goals? And what can you deliver for that price point? And then again, you need a team to help deliver it because if you're doing it all yourself, there's just not, a, not a, as many hours in the day. And, you know, as time goes on and we get older, you get sick of working so hard for so long. So you really need to have that team to help you there. And then, like you mentioned before, advertising, you know, you can you can do phenomenal work, but if you're based on word of mouth and referrals, you just can't go out and get 300 new customers like you can when you do a promotion. So that's how to, how to build a million dollar business in, in 30 seconds by Daryl. <laughs> well, thank you, Nelson. Leslie. I appreciate it. I almost called you Nelson. Thank you, Leslie. I appreciate your time so much today. Uh, it's been really enjoyable. I hope everyone here got value from this call and took lots of notes. And if you were inspired by Leslie, please reach out to her. Thank you, Daryl. Thanks for the invite. Thank you. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.